Why is this happening? Have you ever been in a situation in life where you've posed that question to God or maybe to a friend or a relative? Depending on your circumstances, you might have phrased the question as, why is this not happening? Or what's the meaning of this? Or if you're asking the question on behalf of someone else, you may say, why do bad things happen to good people? It's not uncommon to ask these questions when you or someone you love is experiencing a tragedy or is suffering in some way. But if you find yourself asking these questions repeatedly, you may be in the midst of what is known as a wilderness experience. Wilderness are those experiences, are those times in our Christian lives when we find ourselves in a spiritually barren place. These may or may not be accompanied by temporary or long-term deficiencies in other areas of our lives, such as our finances or our jobs or our relationships, just to name a few. But while we are in the wilderness, we often find ourselves isolated from others and from God, and we feel as if our prayers have gone unanswered. For many of us, this pandemic and time of sheltering in place and all the uncertainty that comes with it may have created a wilderness experience for us. Others may be taking this more in stride, but to be sure, most of us as Christians have experienced a spiritual wilderness at some point in our lives. And if you haven't, it's quite possible you will someday. Today we're continuing our sermon series called Into the Wilderness, where we are exploring how to live faithfully in times and places where we've never been. If you've missed any of these previous sermons in this series, we invite you to visit our website where you can look at them both in video form and download them and listen to them in audio format. Our message today is centered around the Apostle Paul. Much is known about the hardships he suffered during his mission journeys. He endured beatings, being shipwrecked, multiple imprisonments, and ultimately death. But today we're going to be talking about a lesser known time in Paul's ministry. This time is recorded in the book of Galatians, which is located in the middle of the New Testament. If you're looking for Galatians in the Bible, the order of the books is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then Galatians, right about there in the middle. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the church in southern Galatians in 49 AD. These churches had been established by Paul during his first missionary journey, and they had been struggling with the idea that non-Jewish people could actually receive salvation through Jesus Christ. Since most early believers were also Jewish and they were subject to Jewish laws, they were really struggling with the idea that Gentiles could also be part of the kingdom of heaven. As Paul had taught them, by the way. So Paul writes this letter to them in the book of Galatians to set the record straight, so to speak. Now, before we jump into that reading, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father in heaven, Pray that the words I speak and the meditations on all of our hearts will bring honor and glory to you and help us to grow closer to you and better understand you and your word for us. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here's our reading from Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. 
I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul is telling the church here that what he taught them was not really a matter of opinion, but it was the true gospel revealed to him directly from Jesus Christ. Nor was it open for debate or modification. He also reminds them that he himself is a fervent follower of the Jewish faith and tradition and laws, as much so as anyone was, so that if he did not believe that you had to be a practicing Jew to be saved by Jesus Christ, they really had no reason to as well. Now, the reference to Paul's persecution of the church um, are documented in the book of Acts. And I'm going to paraphrase that for you right here so that uh, we don't get out of the book of Galatians. Paul was known at the time as Saul. He was a devout Jew and persecutor of the early Christians. He witnessed the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it tells us that he approved of Stephen's killing. Saul was also then an active participant in the persecution of the church, as described in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And in verse 3 in Acts chapter 8, it says specifically that Saul actually began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Later in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, he receives authority from the high priest to head to Damascus to arrest any Christians he finds there and bring them back to Jerusalem as prisoners. It's on his way to Damascus that he is confronted by Jesus in a very dramatic fashion. He is left blind by the experience, but finds his way to Damascus with the help of his fellow travelers. In the city of Damascus, he is ministered to by Ananias, converts to Christianity, and his sight is restored. And then he immediately begins witnessing to the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Returning to Galatians, verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. So Paul is again making the point here that once he converted to Christianity, he never had an opportunity to consult with any of the apostles, and therefore his teaching of the gospel comes straight from God. But it's this reference to Arabia in verse 17 that forms the basis of our message today. Very little is known about Paul's time in Arabia. In fact, this one verse in Galatians is the only mention of it in all of Scripture. But it's believed based on other texts and reconstructed timelines of Paul's ministry that he spent approximately three years there. Some scholars believe that he fled to Arabia for his personal safety. After all, Paul is still considered a murdering persecutor to the very first Christians. At the same time, he is now considered a heretic 
to the non-Christian Jews in Damascus. And he's also furthermore considered a traitor to the Pharisees because he abandoned his Jewish faith in favor of Christianity. So he's trusted by very few people and he has nowhere to go. Acts chapter 9 verse 23 tells us that the Jews in Damascus actually conspired to kill Paul after his conversion so that a handful of his followers had to help him escape by putting him in a basket and lowering him down through an opening in the city wall. Now other scholars believe that the time in Arabia was spent by Paul studying scripture and growing in his relationship with God. Quite likely it was a combination of both fleeing for safety, and retreating for spiritual growth. But to be sure, he was very much isolated and in the midst of a wilderness experience during this time. We just don't know for sure the reason why. And in the same way, we find ourselves in the wilderness, whether it's a time of sheltering in place that we're going through right now or some prior time in our lives, or maybe it will be sometime in the years to come, the question that we're often brought back to is why is this happening? So today I want to talk about a couple of reasons why we might be going through a wilderness experience. The first reason we might be going through a wilderness experience is because a result of our own sin. We don't like to talk about this, but as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that God does not punish us for the sins that we confess. But there is no denying that our sin comes with consequences. And these consequences can affect our health and our relationship and our finances and our careers and our reputations. From the spiritual side of things, this sin can cause us to withdraw from God all on our own because we don't want to face Him due to our sinful nature. Like a child not wanting to face a parent when they have done something wrong, we sometimes choose to distance ourselves from God when we are aware of our sin and we don't want to let go of it. John chapter 3 verses 20 through 21 states that everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth and comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So again, God does not punish us for our sin. Instead, once we acknowledge it and confess it, He forgives us and He demonstrates His unconditional love for us. But until we are ready to confess and let go of that sin, we can feel separated by God from our own choosing. But the primary reason for wilderness experience is for spiritual growth. It's an opportunity for us to grow in our faith and grow in our relationship with God. Let's face it, when everything is going well in our lives, going well with our jobs, in our relationships, with our finances and our health, we oftentimes don't have a need for God or we at very least forget how much we need God. So sometimes a struggle inserted into our lives along the way can have a tendency to um, return us to our faith. God does this through a process known as pruning, and it puts us on a path to righteousness that leads us closer to Jesus. The dictionary defines pruning as to trim by cutting away dead or overgrown branches or stems 
especially to encourage growth. And this definition works well for us too when thinking about pruning from a Christian sense. John chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 say, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So for us to grow spiritually and become purposeful and remain in a healthy relationship with Christ, sometimes the bad influence and distractions have to be cut out of our lives. Another reason why we may be going through a wilderness experience is that God may be testing us or sifting us. We don't like to think of this, that God might be toying with us a little bit, but God doesn't test us or sift us for his benefit because he already knows what the outcome of that testing will be. Rather, God may be testing us so that we can grow in our faith and we can develop confidence that we know what is truly in our hearts. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 states, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. So God may test us to prepare us for the ministry that he is calling us to do. Now, these obviously aren't the only reasons that we may find ourselves um, in the wilderness or that um, things may be going wrong in our lives. We do live in a world of cause and effect, a world that's governed by the laws of physics and subject to the free will of other people. So there are a lot of reasons other than these three why things can go wrong. But if you are in a period of sustained struggle, you might consider how the areas of sin and growth and testing might be applicable to you or your current situation. So a couple things that we want to talk about in terms of what the wilderness is like, and one is that we want to know, we want everyone to know, that God is with us when we are in the wilderness. When we are wandering in the wilderness, it is natural to think that God is angry with us or God has turned his back on us. We don't like it when God allows bad things to happen to good people. We tend to believe that if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, and is actually present with us in our lives, then he has to keep bad things from happening to us, or at least he has to rescue us quickly when they do. But it's important to remember that God is God, and we are not. And he doesn't have to do anything that we think he should do. So we have to let go of this idea that God's purpose in life is to make our lives easy for us. That he needs to do what we want him to do. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 states that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So it is important to remember that God is always with us, but he will deliver us in his own time and on his own terms. Now, the other thing to know about the wilderness is that Satan is with us too. Now, his primary purpose is to get you to believe that everything I just said about God being with us is not true. He wants us to doubt God and serve him by serving ourselves. 
And he is never closer to accomplishing this than when we are spending time in the wilderness. When we're in the wilderness, we have a tendency to kind of circle the wagons, try to fix things ourselves. We doubt God's ability or willingness to help us. We doubt that God even cares about us, let alone loves us unconditionally. And we have a tendency to look inward on our own problems. And we could become frustrated and confused and even angry. At those times, Satan likes to show us what appears to be the easy way out. He wants us to believe that our lives will be so much better and so much easier if we will just turn our backs on God completely and focus on whatever we, or rather he, feels is best for us. Now the good news is that Satan is completely powerless over us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 tells us that Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So when we resist Satan's lies and we maintain our faith in God's truth, Satan will flee from us and he will leave us alone. So how do we do that? How do we resist Satan's lies and maintain our faith in God's truth? How do we survive or even thrive during our wilderness experience? Well, I'll start by stating what not to do during a wilderness experience, and that is don't waste the experience. About 15 years or so ago, I attended a cursio or a short course in Christianity. Cursios are sponsored by the Roman Catholic Church, but they're a similar weekend sponsored by other denominations, such as Walk to Emmaus and the Great Banquet. Men and women make separate cursios, and in the case of married couples, husbands usually are encouraged to attend uh, before their wives. So once the husband uh, goes to their cursio, wives are strongly encouraged to attend theirs so that they can also deepen their relationship with Christ And so both couples, um, both spouses rather, can relate to each other's experience with each other. Now, the Curcio was a great experience for me personally, and I highly encourage anyone to attend uh, one of these types of weekends if you're interested in furthering your discipleship experience and growing stronger in your relationship with Christ. During my weekend, I felt called by God to put my career into a proper perspective and to live out my faith more in my daily life including my time at work. I was an IT executive at the time for an insurance company, and my work-life balance was, well, let's just say it was a little out of balance. So after the mountaintop experience of that weekend, I kind of entered into a bit of a spiritual wilderness period at my work. The career path that was wide open to me suddenly didn't look so appealing, but I didn't really know what to do about it. So I just kind of kept plugging along as if nothing had happened. Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, and then months turned into a year. But everything pretty much stayed the same. I kind of felt like I was stuck where I was. Now, while this time had been passing, Debbie hadn't yet had an opportunity to attend her cursio due to various scheduling conflicts with those weekends. But finally, a weekend was approaching that would work, and our schedule um, seemed to be uh, manageable for that weekend. But there was still some reluctance on her part to actually sign up. 
And when I pressed her as to why she didn't want to attend, she said very plainly, I don't see any noticeable changes in your life since you attended, so why should I bother? Now, I didn't really appreciate hearing that at the time, but it was true. And I don't think I ever really thanked her for saying it, but I ultimately thanked God for saying it. I was wasting my opportunity for spiritual growth, and I needed to make some serious changes if I was going to make some serious changes. Today will mark eight weeks since we began sheltering in place due to the coronavirus. And if all we have time, all we have to show for this time of social distancing is that we've binge watched every episode of Friends or paid off our house in Animal Crossing or gained five pounds, then we probably haven't accomplished all that God has intended for us during this time. So how do we move forward? We know not what to do, and that's nothing. What do we do? Since God and Satan are both with us in the wilderness, it's important for us to make God the more prominent voice. And it's important for us to stay connected to God through prayer and study and worship. We need to pray regularly to maintain the strength of our relationship with God. The prayer will keep us humble before God. And it will remind us that we are not in control, but God is. We need to pray that God will guide us through this time of trial. And we need to pray honestly and truthfully, using real feelings and real words. It's okay during a time in the wilderness to grumble or complain toward God, as long as we aren't grumbling and complaining about God to other people. Grumbling or complaining towards God are called lamentations, and many of the Psalms take this form. We also need to pray for what we want, but we also need to know that while we're praying for what we want, that what we want is not always what God wants, and God knows what we need. God also won't answer a prayer that's in opposition to His will. So we need to be praying, and we need to be studying. We need to be studying God's Word. Unfortunately, a LifeWay Research Center study that was released in April of 2017 found that only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. Over 40% of the people who attend church regularly read their Bible only occasionally. And that translates to maybe once or twice a month. And almost 20% of churchgoers have said that they never read the Bible. Because we don't read God's Word, it follows that we don't know it. Our lack of biblical literacy has led to a lack of biblical doctrine as well. And many Christians hold unbiblical views on topics such as hell and sin and salvation and Jesus, and our humanity, and even the Bible itself. It makes it very difficult to resist Satan lies when we don't know what the truth is. So we need to stay immersed in God's Word so that we will know the truth when we have the opportunity to be challenged by Satan. We also need to stay connected with God through worship. 
Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Worship is the way we express our love to God. And worship is the way we also express our thanks to God for the many blessings that we have. And it's very helpful during a time in the wilderness to be counting our blessings. Now, you might be thinking that we can't worship God during this time because we can't go to church. But worship is so much more than that. Worship is everything that you do that brings pleasure to God. Your whole life is meant to be an act of worship. So we can worship regularly, even though we aren't coming together as a congregation for worship on Sunday mornings. Now, after we've connected to God through prayer and study and worship, it's also important that we engage in Christian fellowship to stay in connection with our fellow believers. When you're in the midst of a wilderness experience, it's very easy for Satan to use that period of isolation to convince you that no one else will understand what you're going through. You kind of feel like you are alone. And Satan's nudges increase our desire to stay isolated from others until our trials have passed and we feel like we're normal again. Satan knows that we are weaker on our own and we're much more likely to believe his lies and ignore God's truths if we are on our own. So it's important to spend time with other mature Christians who will understand you and may have even endured similar wilderness experiences of their own. And one of the best ways to do this is through small groups. Participating in small groups helps us better understand these biblical truths and relate them to our own life experiences because we unpack them with our fellow believers and we gain better understanding. Small groups also help us relate and extends God's grace to other people as they share their struggles in their life and faith. They also provide a way for us to comfort one another, shore up each other's faith when it is weak, and provide physical and emotional support when it's needed. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4 say, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So just as we can provide comfort to others when they are in need, they can provide similar comfort to us when we're in the wilderness. Now, when we're sheltering in place, again, it's easy to trick ourselves into believing that our brothers and sisters in Christ aren't available to us. But social distancing doesn't need to equate to social isolation. We have a number of small groups that are meeting regularly via video conferencing or staying in touch via other means. So if you are looking to get involved with a group, we urge you to reach out to Pastor Brian so that he can get you connected. So we've connected with God and we've connected with other believers. And now it's time to connect with the community around us by serving and giving generously. Sheltering in place also makes it easy for us to forget that the world outside of our houses is very much in need of our help and that there are many opportunities to give and to serve. 
Serving helps us to take our mind off of our own problems and also helps us realize that we still have very much to be thankful for in comparison to those around us. Most people who serve in the church or in the community report back gaining so much more from the experience than what they ever invest. Giving financially also helps keep God at the center of our lives and brings us closer to Him. It opens our hearts to hear what He has to tell us. Giving generously also humbles us and reminds us that we are simply managing everything for God and that everything we have, including our very lives, belong to Him and are His to control as He see fit. The last thing that we want to remember and help us use to get through this time of being in the wilderness is that we need to be ready to move forward. The last thing um, that we want to be doing is return back to the way things were before. But that is our natural inclination. We want things to go back just to the way they were before all this started. But reality, that defeats the purpose of the wilderness experience completely. So just as our government officials are telling us that things will never get back to normal after this coronavirus has passed, but rather we will all come to get to know a new normal, the spiritual growth that we experience in the wilderness will likely make it impossible for us to go back to the way things were before. The good news is, is that that same spiritual growth will likely make it so that you don't even want to. Let's hop back into Galatians, starting with verse 18. Paul continues. He's continuing to make this point. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem, three years to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Note that Paul doesn't say, they praised me. Rather, he says, they praised God because of me. That's the ultimate purpose of our lives, is to honor and glorify God in heaven in all that we say and do, so that we can draw others closer to him. So during this time in the wilderness, and at all times, let us take the opportunity to draw close to our Father in heaven, and make ourselves ready to go forth and draw others closer to him as well. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who loves us unconditionally and never leaves our side. We pray that you will provide your healing and support to those who are struggling in any way. We pray especially for those who are ill or who are grieving or mourning the loss of loved ones. Lord, we pray that you will help us embrace our life's journeys with fresh hope and perspective so that we can not only survive our time in the wilderness, but thrive in it. We pray that you will help us stay connected to you and to others and connect to serve and give generously 
so that this can become a time of accelerated growth and fruitfulness in our lives. Help us to honor and glorify you in all that we say and do. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.